Father, we thank you for you. We start with you, your goodness, your greatness, your love, your provision. We thank you, Jesus, for your death, your resurrection. We thank you for life that you give us, not just eternally, but now. Lord, we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you indwell us. You give us strength and wisdom. You convict us. You give us comfort. Lord, all we need, all we need is in you. So, Lord, we just thank you for this week. We thank you for Ted teaching. We thank you for um, Caitlin sharing about Convoy, Convoy for Hope. We thank you, Lord, for the counselors. We thank you for these families, Lord. Lord, it's just, it's just a joy for me to be in fellowship with other believers. And it's fun how my friends all come to me in the summer, and it's wonderful. And I thank you for this place for our 99 years, Lord. We trust you. Lord, I just pray that in this time... I get this last little pep talk that I get to share as these parents and individuals go home. And I just pray it'll be encouraging and strengthening. Um, And Lord, that we will be more and more in line with you, standing firm in the faith, keeping alert, being brave brave and strong because you've chosen us to be, and that we'll show love in everything we do. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. So what I want to do, a little pep talk, just kind of send you home with something, something. I like terse and pithy phrases from Scripture. I'm not one, even with books, I don't read lots and lots of books. Some of you are like, no kidding. Uh, you watch, probably read comic books. Well, thank you. Um, but no, I'm, I'm visual, and I like little short phrases, and I'm one who likes to master short little phrases. It's, uh, so for me, I reread books. I highlight, and I go back and highlight with another highlighter, and I highlight some more, and I'm just trying to go, have I done that? So when Scripture lays, that's why I like James. I mean, the book of James, it's just, it's, just, it's, just, it's just terse and pithy, if I even know what that means. And heard someone say it. It was really cool. Um, I want to share with you a verse. Before I do, I want to show you this commercial. Das hier ist mein Sektor. Das hier ist das wichtigste Gerät des Küstenwächter. Das Gerät, das Gerät. Überlebensradar. This is the German Coast Guard. We are thinking, we're thinking. What are you thinking about? Yes. When we are a little off, it's the difference between life and death. And that's a good reminder, that commercial. Just a little off. And so what I want to do is I want to just do a little recalibration. This is the verse. It's short. It's memorizable. It's just, it's just helpful to me. So 1 Corinthians 16, 13 to 14. Keep alert. We could stop right there and spend the next hour just on that. Keep alert. Be firm in the faith. Stay brave and strong. Which, we, which means we can be and we should continue to be brave and strong. Show love in everything you do. Great verse. So let's start with keep alert. Keep alert. It's usually never that fun. <clears throat> when the sheep don't keep alert, the wolves devour them. So I'm not sure where this illustration I'm going to use came from. It seems a little 
odd that anyone would even have this illustration, but I'm sure we've all heard this in our lives. It's the story about if you want to boil a frog. If you drop a frog in a pot of boiling water, it will hop out. But if you want to boil the frog, instead put the frog in in a pan that's full of tepid, lukewarm water and then slowly turn up the heat gradually. And what happens is, as you turn it up gradually, they never hop out and they ultimately die and they boil. Yet they had the power to get out of the situation that fast. And so for me, I just it's a reminder to keep alert and be ready to jump. Not just you protecting your kids or your grandkids, but your marriage, where you are with the Lord. Are you aware of what is happening, specifically asking the Holy Spirit, the one who gives us wisdom, the one who wants to give us life, power, strength. He wants us to be victorious. All we need is is in us through the Holy Spirit, God Almighty indwelling us if we've trusted Jesus Christ. He gives us, he whispers, he speaks to us. Jesus is the shepherd. Shepherds don't play hide and seek with sheep. They protect sheep, they lead sheep, they guide sheep. They provide what they need for that day. The, The Lord wants to communicate with us. He is communicating with us. We need to adjust how we hear so that we can hear his voice. I do know he's not a door buster. He doesn't bust through. He speaks. Sometimes it's just a little thought that I go, I should probably do that. But then I'm quick to just move on. In the last seven years since reading a book that was actually a secular book, but it's all truth is God's truth. It talked about how you betray your own conscience and your person when you see something and there's a split second where you think I should do that. Talking about at work or at home and you don't do it. You've just betrayed yourself. And then you set yourself up to then defend why you're justified in all that you do. So when you're in conflict, you blame the other person. And it's self-deception. And it was in this book that I realized, I need, when I hear something, that's from the Lord. That's, that's, That's the conscience he gave me or his voice that he's speaking to my conscience saying, pick that trash up. Open that door for that person. Run back out there and help them with that. I mean, whether small or big... And when I don't do it, I'm sinning against my conscience. I should just go and help. It has revolutionized my marriage. I was one where my wife would come home. It's in the last few minutes of the football game. Well, she bought those groceries. She can carry them in. I've worked hard. I want to see the game. And the Spirit says, go help her. That's about it. Just, you should help. That little bitty voice And I was never alert to it. And instead I just go, it's the end of the game. I need to watch this. For years. And guess what my wife took away from all that? Honey, could you help? Yeah, I will in a minute. I'm just at the end of the game. And again, you can justify why I should be able to sit there. I'm not talking about justifying a position. I'm saying stay alert for the tactics of the enemy. Does the game matter when, in regards to my wife and my marriage in the next 50 years? No. And so what the Spirit taught me was, hop up. 
The last few years I've been hopping up. Not only eyebrows up, which really helps my family because I have a lot of feelies in my family. So if I do this, you know, they're all like, Dad, or honey, are you mad or something? No. What are you talking about? I'm doing great. Why? Instead, I've shared this. I went to the mirror 20-something years ago because I had summer staff who were scared of me, and I didn't even know why. Why are you scared of me? I love you. <laughs> You're the greatest thing since sliced bread. I love you. They're like, and it'd be like their third summer. They go, Ambush, I used to be scared of you, but now, now I know you, know you love us. I go, but then I went to the mirror, and I started practicing. I kid you not, I did this. I went there and I go, okay, what is a, what is a non-threatening facial expression? And that isn't weird. And I got it. <laughs> and I practiced it. In about two weeks, it became second nature. And so now I think the thing I hear more from any family camp dad usually, when their eyebrows up, eyebrows up. You'd think it would be something I said out of Scripture. <laughs> I browse up. It changes everything. And then the Lord's added to that. Hop up. When I hear the car pull in, I'm like, oh, that doesn't matter. The voice that's saying, you need to watch this. You deserve this. That's the flesh. I hop up. I run out. Hey, baby, got groceries? Oh, no, honey. I don't have any groceries. Oh, okay. Anything you need me to help you with? No. Okay. All right. Got to go back to the game. Oh, thanks, honey. Hop up, hop up. Hey, honey, later on tonight, when you get a chance, there's something high up on the shelf. Could you get it? I'll get it right now. Oh, no, no, honey, you don't need to. No, I'm going to get it right now. Hop up. Now, I'm not saying that's the answer for you. I'm saying that was for me. Not hopping up was the tactic of the enemy that was derailing my wife's feeling of love. It used to be we'd go to restaurants and she'd want to get a Coke. And I would say, why? It's $2.50. And she'd say, because I want one. I go, honey, I could buy you a two-liter bottle for $2. I could put it under the table in your purse. I'll run a very long straw up, and then you could just. <laughs> you think I'm being funny? I seriously said that. I seriously thought that. Like, I'm really picturing her, big purse, putting that two-liter bottle in there. I'm running that straw. We're saving 50 cents. So that was really the first issue where I wasn't keeping alert. Found out years later, she finally just came out with it because she's non-confrontive. And she just finally says to me, honey, when you don't want me to buy a Coke, I feel so unloved. It's a Coke. <laughs> she goes, yeah, and I don't feel loved. And I went, holy smokes. And then as I started to think, I'm thinking, what kind of idiot am I? And then I thought, well, I'm the average because all guys have a certain level of idiot. But <laughs> it's just how much. And so basically I realized that my wife is feeling unloved every time we go on a date. Because I don't want to spend $2.50. I was not alert. And when she told me that, that changed everything. Then it became, hey, babe. We're going to town. Hey, let's go buy McDonald's. Let's get you a Coke. Those fountain Cokes are good. 
get two, you know, hey, double the love. I can laugh about it now, but I'll be honest with you, I'm embarrassed. But there's probably some of those things that both men and women in here, you know you have those areas that you just, you kind of bunker down in your foxhole and you're not moving. And you're going, you're losing. So don't sin against your conscience. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Keep alert and be ready to leap. Talking last night at dinner, I didn't realize until after I said it that their kids were five. But I'm talking about to them about asked the question because I got 19 and above. And so we went through the teen years and all that. And I was sharing some teen advice. And I just was talking about outdate, outdate your daughter's boys. Like be so appealing and attractive in the way you engage your daughters that you make every boy they meet seem and, and perceived the way they are. I'm having fun with that, but come on, adolescent boys. And so when one of my kids came home and told me that they kissed a boy for the first time, they told me, Dad, I kissed the boy. No, Dad, did you like, and inside I'm thinking, I'm going to kill him. God, but on the outside, it's like, no way. Was it, I mean, how'd it go? And she's telling me about it. Now, yeah, it's counterintuitive, but isn't that the Christian life? The flesh wants you to do what you want to do the way you want to do it. Hey, just do what I say. Don't parent like that. Stop. You can still have boundaries, and you can still do it in a winsome way and communicate the boundaries and the why. We try to make sure our summer staff here know the why. So we're not having a bunch of summer staff, and we're in a time where they think independently, and they see things the way they see things, and they'll speak up about it, and they'll vote with their feet. But we're not having a bunch of people challenging what we do and why we do it, because we try to do our best to communicate with eyebrows up why we're doing this, what the mission is, this is why this will derail, this is why your response needs to be this way, this is why we're going to challenge you here, this is why we're going to hold you accountable, because you know you wouldn't be on time if we didn't have some sort of consequence. That's why we're doing it. Get yourself a Coke, you know? (laughs) So keep alert. Be ready to jump. The Holy Spirit wants to bring to your mind before you leave this morning something that you've been kind of lulled to sleep about. And he's been wanting to help bring freedom to that area and help you jump. He'll speak. 2 Corinthians, it's talking about some forgiveness and some things, but the teaching... Paul says, in order that Satan might not outwit us. Satan's a liar. Father of lies. It's his native language. It's what he speaks. So he's always out to steal, kill, and destroy. When you really think about that with your kids, and then you start to think tactically, how is the enemy going to do that? We're Christians. They're in our, the kids are in our homes. But he hates your kids. Hates them. Someone does something. Something doesn't seem quite fair and you get upset about it and you didn't want to get mad with them. Stop. God is sovereign. He's working out good. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. But ultimately down the road, it was to redeem their family 
and a nation. Pause. Put your emotions and your fears aside. you got to have the Lord's help on that, by the way. It isn't easy. And then think, what might God be allowing this for? Satan's trying to destroy, but what, what might God be doing here? And then pause. This happened for me even as of yesterday. And then help your child by saying, listen, I know this is hard. Validate the emotion. Blue moon now that they're older, I'll use a, a more crasser word. That sucks. I never said that my whole life. But they're at a place where that was like, whoa, dad totally understands. He said so. I go, that must feel awful. But you know what I see in this? The Lord trusts you enough to be in this situation because he, he wants to strengthen your grit, your determination, that your faith is big enough that you can overcome this. And you know what? Satan's always going to be coming at you, try to tear you down, and you're not going to let it, even though it sucks. You're going to, no, the Lord's going to strengthen you. He's going to use you. He, God has got you in his hand. Use it instead of going, that makes me so mad. That teacher did what? That, oh, man. Oh. And getting all mad with him. You're not equipping him. Again, all I'm saying is, there's, do you see how Keep Alert is its own week-long session? I mean, we could talk about this over and over in different ways. Satan wants to outwit us. He wants to deceive. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. We need to be aware. The Spirit wants to show us in order that we, Satan might not outwit us. And then it says, for we're not unaware of his schemes. We know his schemes. Which means the Spirit wants to reveal those schemes. So you can be aware. We just need to be alert and ask. That's encouraging. That's encouraging. One scheme I want to talk about. One thing I want you to be alert on. I'm just going to touch base on this because I think it's an issue with social media and everything going on. Is comparison. I've always said this. It's funny because my daughter wrote me a letter. She just got married, and, and she wrote me a letter, a Father's Day letter, an email, actually. And, 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 just out, and she goes, the phrases you've used, Dad, I'm now realizing. They're ingrained in, in my mind, in my soul, my spirit. And she starts rattling off these phrases that I use that help them with life, little terse and pithy phrases. And one of them is, comparison is a thief of joy. Comparison is a th And she put that in her email. I was like, oh, yeah. It, I didn't come up with it. I don't know where I, I heard it. 30 years ago. Comparison is the thief of joy. It'll rob you every time. Do you know how easy it is for all of us? Some of you coming from a group, you know each other. The comparison, oh, yeah, but she's doing that, or they're doing that with their kids, or they got that car, or they're, well, they're, and they're, and, and you, oh my goodness, and you're like, I love them, but I'm just, and, and you're miserable because you're comparing. It's a thief. Stop. Leap. Out of the boiling, almost boiling water. Get out of it. Just stop. Swim in your lane. Run in your lane. Andy Stanley was just listening to a message just uh, a few months ago online, and he said this. He says, it will, comparison will never allow you to measure up to what you desire. It'll, you'll never, it'll never allow you. Comparison will never allow you to measure up to what you're desiring. It's just not going to happen. And then, we read in Ecclesiastes, and I saw that all toil, all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. Now, sometimes with Proverbs, there's kind of what I call extreme statements. 
when it says all, it's proverbial, it's wisdom literature. But much of the time, in real life, our achievement, our hard work, it springs from an envy of others. Shark Tank. When are the sharks, when do they have enough? When is it no longer time? If I had that kind of money, I would love to go on Shark Tank. They wouldn't let me be a shark because I'm not a shark. I'd be a minnow. You valued your company for $4 million? You have $400,000 worth of sales. It's a great idea. You've worked really hard. You want $200,000 for 10%? I'll give you $300,000 for 5%. It would, it, they would blow up. Because you can see it. All their toil, the shark's toil, it's all, this achievement is all because of the comparison and the, and the envy of others. I want to be richer than anyone else. I love money. Mr. Wonderful, I, I pray for him. How miserable. It's all about the money. It's not about a person, their story. They were homeless. They came up with this idea. They sold everything they had that they cared. And they got this. And you want to take a majority ownership in their company? How sick can you be? Boiling in, their own, in the water. But it's this. And that is meaningless. It's meaningless. It's chasing the wind. You would think if I was out in the wreck field and I'm chasing the wind, you would think ambush has really lost it. Like, he's having a breakdown. He's chasing the wind. No one's watching. He's not trying to entertain the kids. You would think, oh, my word. And that's what this is, this achievement, trying to get more and more. Stop. Look at Proverbs 14.30. A heart at peace Gives life to the body. Now, you understand, I'm a cranker. I look like I'm ADHD. I look like I am a goof. I'm a very high achiever. Did very, very well in all my schooling because of a work ethic. But the Lord had to show me this. That I'm not going to be at peace if I'm basing it on what I'm achieving today because I'm always going to have some other goal. Somebody's going to be a little bit better. Someone's going to do more. I could always do more. I could always, you know, I could raise the bar again and raise the bar again. And it's chasing the wind, even though it's for the Lord here at Go Lake Ministries. I hate mistakes. But now, if the 100 year video doesn't come on, my heart's at peace. Technology. Y'all looking at me, but it doesn't bother me. My heart's at peace. Because it wasn't a lack of responsibility on anyone's part. It's technology. It's of the devil. <laughs> I joke. I mean, technology, great. But I'm just saying is, it does burn you. You know, it steals, kills, and destroys sometimes. But envy, even if it's your own envy, even if it's just like you're comparing yourself in, in a way that, but usually it's to someone or some standard. It'll rot your bones. And so now I just go, hey, I'm trying to just submit to the Lord. Lord, I don't like this mistake. I'll go, if it's something we did wrong, then we'll go make restitution. I had a speaker years ago, first time here. He was, 
He's really more of a men's conference speaker and a college speaker. But he's at family camp. And I've learned that family camp, you all are on vacation and you're wanting winsome teaching, that, but it spurs you, but it's not like a conference where you're getting tons of notes on a certain topic. And there's some things like that I've learned over the years. Well, this person was actually dealing with some, um, well, weight. He had lost weight. He really realized that that was something he should have dealt with a long time ago. And it came into some of his teaching. And it was really a personal conviction, but it was showing up with comments and comments and conversations with people. And a couple struggled with it because they were struggling, and it just felt really distancing. Well, you all fell out an evaluation tonight after dinner. We actually, Hoedown glances those, speed glances and reads those for us to catch anything that might happen. Well, this couple years ago said everything was great except the speaker just was really hurtful talked about weight a lot and it made us feel like we're, we're big sinners and it is a struggle but it just it was just disappointing and then when it went down there where they come back I don't even know if we checked that all I know is I heard that Hoedown tells me we're in here at share time share time's ending I run up to them and I say hey I just want to tell you something I am so sorry I didn't vet that speaker well enough. I've heard him before, but I didn't think about it in the context of family. And he's really more of a men's speaker to tack the hill. And he goes, I messed up. I want you to come back later this summer, no charge, absolutely comped, because we need to make this right. Well, they've, they've continued to come back since then. But that's my responsibility, to make it right. So if I do something, I need to make it right. So I don't like the error. I hate the error if it's something that we could have done better, but I want to be at peace. And so it really comes back to submitting to the Lord, saying, what do you want to do, Lord? Because even in the mess up, there's something redemptive about it. It got to show them, wow, this, that's really generous. That, that's who Jesus is. He's generous. You see what I'm saying? And then I had the phone call with the speaker, which... <laughs> Uh, it's hard for him to understand the concept of why that was a problem. But anyway, sorry, shouldn't have put that on tape. Okay. Um, <laughs> he doesn't speak here. Um, that's my job. You cannot compare your way to peace and tra- tranquility. Okay, so this whole thing, this, this one area to keep alert on comparison, you can't compare your way to peace and tranquility. Also, God has given each of you your own race to run. And you're, we need to stay in our own lanes and stop chasing the wind. So for me, that's the picture. I used to run track. I used to be distance runner. But you stay in your lane and run the race that you can run, the best that you can run it, relying on the Holy Spirit's power, his strength, his wisdom, his hope, his joy. Let the fruit just manifest and, 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 and flourish and slosh out of you, if you will. But run in your lane. Someone said, well, they got, it doesn't matter. They're running in their lane. What has God put in front of you? Yeah, but I have this situation. It doesn't matter. That's your situation, run in your lane. The Lord is going to run with you, but run your race and don't chase the wind. Comparison is a thief. Now, uh, Andy Stanley quoted Jordan Peterson from a book, 12 Rules for Life. And in that book, it said this, which I thought was a great, compar- a great comp- quote. He says, if you have to compare... Compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not to someone else today. I thought, well, that's really good. Am I becoming more and more like Jesus? 
And when I think about how I was yesterday, I hopped up yesterday. Did I hop up today? Ooh, no, I didn't. Okay, Lord, help me. Go apologize, make restitution, and then change. So, spend a lot of time on that just because I think that's where we're vulnerable. Keep alert. And then it's interesting because Paul writes this. Keep alert, be firm in the faith. And then Peter writes this. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, stand firm in the faith. I think it's so interesting that both of these icons of the faith, both are saying, keep alert and stand firm in the faith. So I have to cover that too. Be firm in the faith. Be firm in the faith. Again, pictures. The opposite of being firm in the faith. That excavator, I mean, that is, that's like a serious problem. I mean, they're not getting out of that without significant help, drying it out, digging around. I mean, that's a mess. Or you look at this house, it's imploded in a sinkhole. And then I look at 1 Corinthians 3.11 that says, no, for, there, uh, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one that's already laid, which is Jesus Christ. For my marriage to work, for my kids to, to grow up in there, and then when it's time to launch, as I shared yesterday at the table, we have an 18-year lease with our kids from God with a four-year extension for a lot of them, maybe five. And the parenting doesn't end, it just shifts to becoming more friend-oriented and you don't, you adjust, you want, the goal is you want to help your children strengthen up in the Lord. That's why for us, we had them in public grade school and, and intermediate school because they were stronger than their peers. We wanted them to be, for us, we wanted them to be around, and this is all the Holy Spirit's leading. I'm in my lane, okay? No comparison, I'm in my lane. But we wanted them to have inoculations of the world so then they're like praying for their fellow students and when someone's bullying or doing stuff they're like okay we're putting scripture into action and we're coming alongside of them and but it's all about Jesus we want them to have a firm foundation and then when they get older by the time that they're senior in high school we wanted them to be making their own decisions in the house so if they make a poor decision we're there to be their counsel not their I was going to say idiot roommate but I'm not going to say that their college roommate who lacks wisdom and understanding as their counsel but it's hard because you think, no, they're in our house and they, they want to do this and I don't really know if I want them to do this. And yeah, there's a boundary on that even too. But, but for us, we're like, well, what is the Lord? We, and we started in middle school. What is the Lord? What do you think the Lord wants you to do? Hmm. And then they come back with why they think the Lord wants them to do or not do something. Because we want to have a moral compass. So by the time that they're on their own, they're, they know where true north is. They know what the Holy Spirit wants. And then when they go off to college, we're not worried. We're not worried if we were to go on a vacation and the kids are home alone. There's not going to be some sort of, you know, rave at our house. They, there's this, this, because their foundation is Jesus. So, and again, another picture. We just don't want that with our families. We don't want the car submerged in a sinkhole and life and we're just going, oh my, how do we get here? One thing I want to throw out to you is Hebrews 2.1, this verse. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. Very relevant verse. This was my verse of a number of years back that I just would quote in my head over and over and over. The reason I think it's really powerful is because it's yelling at me in a positive way. It's yelling at me. It's a megaphone saying, pay more careful attention. It didn't say, we must pay attention, therefore, to what we have heard so we do not drift away. It didn't just say, we must pay careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so we do not drift away. It says, we must pay more careful attention. 
keep alert. And the great thing is, the Spirit will do that in us. It's simply yielding to the Spirit. Wanting to hear the Spirit. Inviting daily and throughout the day, the Spirit, speak to me, guide me. All of a sudden, you're, oh, there's that supervisor. (sighs) Lord, help me love him. Help me love him. Help me to be what you want me to be. I trust you. Hey, how are you? Eyebrows up. Oh, yeah? You want me to drain the lake this afternoon and then, fill, and then clean out the dirt and then put all the water back? Oh, sure. Do my best. Because that's all you can do. God's will is you pray and you make your best effort. You can't do any more than that. That's God's will. And if you get new information down the road, well, you don't beat yourself up because you got new information. You didn't know that when you're back here praying and making your best decision. So it's become very freeing for me. I haven't read in Scripture exactly that way with that phrase, but it's true. We pray, we ask God, guide us, give us wisdom, and then we make our best effort, best decision, and best. Hop up, okay. God's will will be done. Now, stand firm in the faith. I want to share some stats with you. And these are 10-year-old stats from Barna, George Barna. I'm sure you've heard of him. He's a cultural researcher, does stuff for secular, you know, Fortune 500 companies, but he also does stuff in the Christian world. He's a Christian. I was at a conference. He didn't let you record it, so I wrote, I was so fast. I was this supersonic writer. And I wrote down a lot of this stuff. I'm just giving you a few of the stats. We, as the body of Christ in the United States, we talk a good game, but the stats are showing we're not living it. And we're seeing an exodus of youth from the church. Now we have some solutions. Briefly, I'll give you one solution at the end of this stats. But, and it's Barna's research. But ask this question of these born-again believers. Okay, so this isn't the liberal wing of the church. It may even be unsaved wing of the church who have a form of godliness but deny its power because they don't hold to Jesus Christ and Christ alone. But when asking born-again Christians who would be people in this room, type, what is the object of worship? I was stunned when he said, in their research, they found that 47% said self. That worship was about them. I want to sing songs that I feel good, and I can can do this, and I can express, and I can whatever, but it's I, 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 and they saw self as the object of their worship. When you step back, you go, oh, that's, that's sick. We are sick. We are at 105 fever here. 29% didn't even know. They just sang, and I'm not sure what the object of the worship was. 24% said it was God. Now some of you are going, what? This is 10-year-old data of born-again believers. And he went through what that looked like, and it was very much the category I'm in. He went on and said, of the 200 adult believers in a study, study, he said, nobody said their highest goal was to be a committed follower of Jesus. Nobody. You'd think statistically there'd be an error. Someone would have said that. I can flat out tell you. Here, the team I get to work with, my full-time staff, this is our heartbeat. We want to be committed followers of Jesus, which means if you want to... <laughs> If you want to act like Jesus, you got to think like Jesus. And we want to know what he says, and we want to put it into action. I think that's why we, I think together, I'm encouraged by you. 
I think you're encouraged by the staff because we're here going, oh, no, 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 no. No. We want to be committed followers of Jesus. I mean, you're taking your vacation to go to a ministry. I think you're committed. (laughs) He went on to say, most adults were concerned about the moral condition of the nation. Yet, barely one in ten described faith as a top priority. And only 12% of born-again adults have a biblical worldview where they truly hold to God's words, how they think, and then how they act, regardless of what the cultural norms are. So our summer staff are coming in with all sorts of stuff in the culture, and it's hammering them. And the professors are hammering them. And even at Christian universities, they're not being fully supported the way they should be in their faith journey. And one of the things that I did in 2015 is I wrote a biblical ethic. I took scripture and I took some of the issues of today and I thought, what would be needed in a court of law if someone were to challenge the validity of our faith ministry here? Like, we're a Christian ministry. We're not a public accommodation. We're a private accommodation. And we have certain things that are expected no matter who comes here. We don't expect everyone to come here to be a Christian. Not everyone that goes to my church is a Christian. But they can't speak or act in opposition to God's word. But have we ever outlined some of those things? And so I took the time, and it was a painful experience because it's not really, thinking in that way, I'd rather be a more of a coach and just apply. And I started putting on paper, and it was, it was over a year process for me. And I ran it by some, uh, my brother's doctor in New Testament theology. I ran it by him, and I ran it by a lawyer, a Christian lawyer that works with Christian camping. This is before everyone had resources out there. It was usually just a belief statement is what ministries had. And I put together priesthood of believers, biblical ethic on sexuality. I just kind of put it together in a way, and then I lot all the scriptures. Boom, 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 boom. So if anyone came and says, you're not really Christian ministry, what do you believe on this, on this, on that? And I go, well, first of all, and it clarifies everything very clearly. It's about God's word. Our job descriptions have it. That everyone's a priesthood of believers. If you trusted Jesus Christ, you can't work here if, unless you're a believer. Part-time, full-time, doesn't matter. Because we're all priests. Because Jesus, and, and, and the scriptures say we're priests. And that when push comes to shove, minister over task. So you're in maintenance, and you got an air conditioning down, but there's somebody over here who's struggling with something, and they just go, can you talk to me? Go talk to them. We'll sweat. Because ministry is first. We're ministers. We're We're, we're ministers. It addresses that. Well, when it gets to the sexuality part, your identity, homosexual marriage, it's, it, it, I guarantee every one of these students has a friend who's struggling or feels that they're not the gender that, they were, that they're born with or that they're, they're uh, the friend's uh, homosexual and a gay lifestyle. How do you then approach God's word with all the chatter and the news and media and music and entertainers and athletes and then we say there's sin and this is our response restoration grace love but we're going to call things exactly the way God did because God made us he's the great creator and we're not and it'd be absolute foolish folly to start to interpret the way we want to and to be giving advice to other people or try to help other people when it's based on our wisdom. 
God even tell us that, tells us that that's foolish. And by God's grace, I never know how I'm going to present. I'll, I'll kind of, I'll, they'll get a copy of this. They'll all read it. For some of them, they've never even had it explained. They don't have a clue. It's just bounced around. They're not sure. We ask, anyway, and then I'll cover it. And I have no idea how I'm going to cover it. I'm praying, 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 praying. Because it could be a firestorm. And I could have a handful of them just leave and quit. Because this is big. But I know that God is God and I am not. And that he made us and creation does best when creation, the created's focus is the creator. And I have to dispense God's word. Or I'm a fool for not. This time we met in the back of the tab. They were there. God gave me, and again, winsome eyebrows up. Because this is all about restoration. I don't hate anybody. I pray for my enemies. I have people who have been attacking of this ministry and me as the head of this ministry who've attacked me, slandered, literally sending out emails trying to stir people in the community. And that's the person I pray for probably more than anyone, he and his wife, that they would come to know you, Jesus. And if you need me to engage this person, this couple, to show your love to them and truth, I will. But until you open that door, I'm just going to pray. I'm not angry. Sure, they hack me off in my humanity, but I go, no. It's a spiritual battle. Why? Because Scripture says it's not a flesh and blood fight. You see what I'm saying? It gives context to everything. But you can't be one foot on the boat and one foot on the dock saying, well, I believe this about God's word on the dock, but I kind of like this thing over here on the boat. You do the splits and you get all wet, and you don't, you don't enjoy either the dock or the boat. And so the staff embraced. I said, now, if any of y'all have questions or concerns, talk to me. But they sense the grace of God in the midst of a standard that's very clear how God's designed us for marriage, who we are, who we should be physically intimate with, how that works. God's designed it. So if any of you go, you know what, I don't even know much about that, I'll get you the biblical ethic. And we let any group that comes here know that if, if they want to see it, we'll provide it, I'll get a hold of them and I'll meet with them. And I've met with some secular groups that want to rent the facility because we tell them, you're going to hear a presentation of the gospel, our mission, who we are. It'll be about five minutes. And then we're going to serve you because that's how we look like Jesus when we serve. But everyone comes knowing they're going to hear who we are and what God is doing. And we're going to share Jesus with every group that ever comes. Or they, or they choose not to come. And we've had a number of secular groups that will not come because we're going to do that. That's in God's hands. i got to be true to what he's, the Spirit's leading to do. So it went a little longer on that. I apologize on that part. But... The Lord must know I'm supposed to share it. You can't act like Jesus if you don't think like Jesus. And so Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, Easterners use picture, geography. They do, they, you know, eagle's wings, you know, wa living water. That's who God is. They use, it's, I like that Eastern style of teaching and thinking. Even thousands of years ago, that's, Jesus was an Easterner. And so I picture Jesus and a lot of times we take the second verse, the verse 32, you'll know the truth, the truth will set you free. Ying! Satan knows the truth. you got to have 31. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, I picture Jesus grabbing Peter's you know, tunic or whatever, and I see him grabbing Peter. If you hold to my teaching, and Peter's like, whoa, Jesus. <laughs> and he's kind of tossing around. And he's like, if you hold to my teaching, then you're my disciple. Then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Are you grabbing hold 
of God's word, we need to increase that 12% who hold to a biblical worldview. Are you holding to God's word and living it? Because if you hold to his teaching, then you're really my disciple. Then you'll know the truth experientially, and it'll set you free. And this is the thing I want to, I think, that can help us in a context. He said this, there's only a 13 percentage point difference in what, what is morally acceptable behavior between a born-again Christian and a non-Christian. It's only 13 percentage point difference, okay? And then he said this, in his research, he has found that it takes a 40 percent variance to be noticed and influence those around you. So you go back in history, and I'm not a historian. This is just from a few trips with Ray Vanderlaan and some of his teaching in Israel and Turkey. But there came a point, a boiling point, where they were killing and, and, and torturing Christians of the early church. They were burning them alive, putting them on hot chairs with coals underneath it and letting them just literally burn before the crowds in the Colosseum, lions devouring Christians. And it took some time, but there was, a greater, there was greater than a 40% variance between those believers and everyone else. And it spun the whole world to where then Christianity was embraced, not because of a sword, but because of sacrifice. The humility of the believer who believed what they believed, they didn't curse, they didn't hate, they, they stood on what they had been taught of our Savior, how to live, and they died gracefully, and it changed the world. And what I'm telling you is the 40% variance. We need to look at our families. We need to look at our lives. As a marriage, you go, our marriage isn't working. Well, maybe it's because there's a 13% variance between your behavior and just some pagan, selfish person in marriage. Get it to 40%. Ask the Holy Spirit, hey, I want to be a 41%er. I want to get above 40%. And when there's that kind of change, your spouse is going to know. When you're hopping up and your eyebrows are up and you're not worried about the end of the game and you're getting them cokes and you're going, they're going to be like, what's going on here? And then you start to be noticed and you start to influence and it changes the whole temperature of the relationship. Whether at work, church, home, neighbors. To me that was really encouraging because it validated what we're doing here. You, you all admit, the college kids here, there's a 40% variance between college kids you see everywhere else. And that's why you all are like, this is, they're getting noticed and they're influencing. And then you're going home going, wow, they had less money. They had less freedom. They didn't have their cell phone. They worked from morning till night and they had more joy than I do. I'm going to start applying some of that. So if your family starts seeing you hop up and getting a picture. Hey, can I get you more water? <laughs> and you go, I know what you're doing. Oh, that was, oh, let me, sorry. I'm almost done. I started doing some things that my wife wanted. And one of them was years ago, and she, it was validation. Like, ah, I told by a counselor that you're supposed to validate. Like when they say, oh, my day was so hard. And, I, and I'm thinking, okay, life's hard. Suck it up, buttercup. I mean, that. I don't know, this is the way I'm wired, you know. And in my family growing up, when something was hard, they say, well, let's pray about it. We pray about it, and then you move on. That was, that's all you needed was we're going to pray about it, we're going to ask the Lord for help, and then move on. It didn't have all that, that soft kind of, I mean, my parents were loving and all that, but it, was, it wasn't that nurture, you know. It's so frustrating. 
And I didn't know how to do that. And so I was told by a counselor, you need, and the counselor even said, she goes, she goes you mean you haven't, you haven't, you know, said, oh, uh, I go, no. You don't want that? No. I just want you to pray with me and then we'll just go. Life's tough. She looks at me like, what is wrong with you? But then she told me what to do and I said, okay, and then I do it. I'm just, I'm that kind of person. It's like, okay, turn on a dime, let's just do it. So my wife knew that I had this conversation and so then she starts to say something. I go, Honey, that's frustrating. <laughs> she looks at me. And I go, time out. You can't, you can't do that. I'm trying to do what you need, and you can't call me on it. you got to kind of go with it, okay? Otherwise, it just doesn't work. And she's like, okay, okay, I'm sorry, okay. So the next time I go, honey, that's frustrating. She goes, well, thank you for identifying, honey. I go, Sure. <laughs> I've gotten, I mean, I think from what I've been told from my kid, I've gotten really good at it now. To where I was meeting one my, college, my daughter, I was at college and I was meeting some of her friends. And then she had to run to the restroom. And I'm talking to one of her friends that I just met. And then some other friends came up, but didn't know that it was I'm my daughter's dad. And then as we're talking, and then they say, oh, yeah, this is someone's know, so dad. And I was talking, they go, and I was like, oh, and I was like, oh. and they go, oh my goodness. You are so the, da- the dad of that degree, you know, of our friend. You, my facial expression was like, oh. and that's exactly what my daughter does. And I was just, oh, you know, I mean, I'm over-exaggerating a little bit, but not too much. And, um, but it's sincere now. Like, I really do. Like, if you talk to me, I mean, now I, my, I've relaxed and my body is now doing what the Spirit wants it to do. And so I've become alert and now it's just happening. So if I do that with you, I'm not faking it. Now it really is. So now if I do this, okay, that I'm just having fun because girls do that. But, you know, but, but no, really, I, anyway, all right. We're wrapping this thing up. Our opportunity to have significant impact on people is enormous. It's enormous. You get that up from 12, 13% to 20%, 25%, you're going to start seeing people going, they're going to notice and then it gets to 40, man, they're going to want to follow and believe what you believe. So let's, and so let's put God first. Let's want more of him, less of us, and let's run the race that he's put us in the lane he's put us in. Stay keep, or keep alert, be firm in the faith, stay brave and strong, show love in everything you do. I'm going to fly through these last two. Stay brave, very good thing. <laughs> stay brave, stay strong. And this verse, Corinthians 1, 2, 26, 27, the whole point here is God chose the least likely to dumbfound and confuse and to derail those who have it all together. He used, when it says foolish things of the world to shame the wise, it's not that what God did is foolish, but according to the world. So when people think we believe that, your religion's for weak people. Why do you believe that? Okay, they think they're wise, they think they have it all figured out. So we look like we're foolish. But God uses the foolish to shame the wise. He uses the weak to shame the strong. We don't have to have, have, to have it all together. We don't have to have all the, the degrees or the money or status. No, God calls the humble and the simple. And because of that, it's God's choosing. So we can be strong. We can stay strong and stay brave because God chose us to be. I'm indestructible until God's finished with me. I shared a few years ago. I've had MS for almost eight years. I shared it only a few years ago because I felt like broken, damaged goods. 
I was, I just, I didn't want you, and I didn't want it to be about me, and I wanted to keep the focus on y'all and relationships with y'all. But I thought, you know what, Lord, despite, despite this degenerative condition that's not of you, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to make my best effort to be healthy. I'm now kind of a hippie sometimes. I make kombucha. I eat kefir, fermented cabbage. I do near-infrared sauna. I ground earth. Some of you, you don't even know what this stuff is because I'm a hippie. And I do injections, and I do you know, conventional medicine. I get my sleep. I do all that I can to stay healthy, and the Lord has chosen to keep me healthy. And I'm hoping that even if my body wasn't healthy, I would still stay brave and strong because that's his choosing. And I trust him. I have all of eternity to, to enjoy family and to enjoy uh, a new body, a glorified body. But I'm very grateful what he's done and allowed me to stay healthy to this point. It's been five years. I haven't had a relapse. And my life does revolve around making my best effort to stay healthy. But God's chosen us. We're indestructible till God's finished with us if we're obeying him. And I really believe that. Jesus says, I have given you authority to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Now, that doesn't mean bad things don't happen. You know my daughter's health situation vaguely probably, but it, it's not getting better, and it's probably not unless the Lord does some, some miraculous healing. So physically, things like that, yes. You're going to have pain. You're going to tear a, a calf muscle while trying to show off your basketball skills <laughs> without stretching. <laughs> Sorry. I, I'm one jab step away that's why I don't get on the court um, but Satan can't do anything to your relationship with Christ he cannot harm you if something happens negative it's a broken world God allows and I'm not going to get into all the theology of that but we don't have to be fearful so we can stay brave and strong and then lastly show love in everything you do that's what we do around here you, you know you look most like Christ when you serve and so this Texas sign does not apply here Trespassers will be shot. Survivors will be shot again. <laughs> We're probably a little bit more tender than that. Um, but I'm not talking about romance, warm fuzzies. I'm not talking about feelings. And, and, and Ted talked about this on Monday. Did a great job talking about various kinds of love and agape love. But Jesus says this, and I'm just going to highlight the part that I really want you to see. You know, it used to be said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But Jesus says, I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's counterintuitive. But that's the Lord's asking us to slosh his love to people. And so love's not about what you feel about other people. It's not about what, but it is what, about what you do for them. The, the act of love is the act of the will. It's a choice. So for me, that's that when I feel a conviction from the Spirit to do something, a little voice says pick that up or do that or help there or hop up or raise your eyebrows or listen and shut up. That's an act of my will to do something loving to serve or sacrifice. And when I do that, people take notice. They give you influence. They follow you. They give you authority. And then you lead. Love is the act of extending yourself for others by identifying and meeting their legitimate needs and seeking their greatest good. Love is as love does. And I think it's best summed up in this commercial <laughs> by John West. John West loves salmon. And he will do whatever it takes to get you the finest, best salmon.
At the river mouth, the bears catch only the tastiest, most tender salmon. Which is exactly what we at John West want. John West endured the worst to bring you the best. John West endured the worst to bring you the best. I think that teaches, that preaches. Let's be people who love extravagantly because we're willing, as an act of the will, as the Spirit leads, to love others by serving and sacrificing. When we do, they take notice because it's counterintuitive, it's not natural. And when you do, they will give you authority. They will look to you. You will influence them. And they'll want what you have, which is Jesus Christ and his spirit within you. Father, thank you for this opportunity to teach. I thank you for my friends that are here. I thank you for the oneness that we have in you. Lord, you showed me a long time ago, we don't, like with my staff, we don't have to work at, at oneness. We don't have to work at unity. We've got to work at not sinning. We have oneness. We are a body. One faith, one Lord, one God, one body. And it's our sin that causes disunity. So help us to run in our lanes. Let's help us not to compare. Lord, help us to keep alert. Lord, I pray that you would be showing these friends of mine areas where they've been unwittingly deceived by the enemy. They're not aware of the tactics. I pray that you would surface them and continue to do that. And then give them a strategy for victory because all victory is in you. And we have it. Victory is in surrender to your spirit. So, Lord, we thank you. Thank you for John West, his example of doing what it takes to get a salmon. Help us to remember that, that we may apply that in our lives for our family, friends, and those we don't know, and even our enemies. In Jesus' name, amen.